This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. There was yarn that was dyed, some blue yarn, purple yarn, red yarn. There were filaments, strands of gold that were woven into the fabric. There were badger skins, there were ram skins dyed red, there were goat hair. The tabernacle was magnificent with these elements. It was magnificent in its wood, and it was made of this very strong acacia wood. The tabernacle was magnificent in the precious stones that were involved. There was onyx, and I don't even know what some of these things are, like carnelian, and chrysolite, and beryl, and turquoise, and lapis, and emerald and jacinth, agate, amethyst, topaz, and jasper, all these different precious stones. And it was made with skilled artisans. There was the work of the weavers, there was metal casters, there was metal pounders, there was jewel cutters, there were carpenters, there were tailors, there were skin tanners, there were people who dyed skin and fabric, all of those people. And the tabernacle was not just thrown together, it wasn't just Well, uh, here's some gold, come up with the design, do what you would like to build. No, that's not the way it was. You know, it was like, uh, here's some wood carpenter, make something nice. That wasn't it. The tabernacle was not made according to what each individual wanted it to look like. The tabernacle was not made according to the decisions of some committee or voted. Moses had to first find from God, how the tabernacle was to be built, what it was to look like. And this is uh, brought out for us in Exodus 25, 8, that says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of the instruments thereof, shall you make it. He was shown in, in Exodus 25, 40. Look thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in Mount Sinai, Moses, I don't know if he was taking notes or whatever, but he remembered everything. He was shown the tabernacle to the most minute detail of what he had to build. Numbers 8.4, this work of the candlestick, for example. 
This work of the candlestick was a beaten gold unto the shaft thereof, unto the flowers thereof, was beaten work according unto the pattern which the Lord had showed Moses, so he made the candlestick. So Moses had to find out from God exactly how to make this tabernacle. And just as Moses had to find out from the Lord what the work had to be to build this tabernacle, we gotta find out from the Lord what our life work is to be. And that starts with the question that Paul asked God when Paul first encountered God as Jesus for the first time on the road to Damascus. And it says in Acts 9, 6, he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. So in order to find the will of God for our lives, we've gotta be like Paul and ask God. And then after Moses found the will of God for the tabernacle, and he saw all the work that had to be done to make the tabernacle, Moses accepted the building of the tabernacle. And even though, I mean, we can all imagine that Moses was wondering how in the world was he gonna make this thing, this magnificent tabernacle, in the desert? There's no Home Depots out there. You can't go there and buy all that stuff. And where are you gonna get all the stuff? So how was Moses gonna be enabled with materials and workmen to build this tabernacle? And that's when Moses saw a miracle. Maybe the greatest miracle in the building of the tabernacle was changing the heart of the people because God changed the heart of the people. The heart of the people were changed, and they gave. They gave what was needed in Exodus 31.1. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah, key man in this building of the tabernacle, Bezalel, which, by the way, Hebrew means in the shadow of. So it's like God was directing him. And I have filled him with the spirit of God and wisdom and understanding, knowledge, all manner of workmanship, to devise cunning works, to work in gold and silver and brass, cutting of stones, to set them in the carving of timber, to work in all manner of workmanship. And behold, I have given him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan, and in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted, I put wisdom that they make all that I have commanded thee. The tabernacle, the congregation, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat that's upon it, the furniture of the tabernacle, the table, his furniture, pure candlestick with all his furniture, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all his furniture, the laver, his foot, the cloths of service and the holy garments for Aaron the priest, the garments of his sons to minister in the priest's office and the anointing oil and the sweet incense for the holy place according to all that I have commanded him. So just as Moses found out from God what God's will was in the building of his tabernacle, and after Moses accepted it, then God provided all that was needed to build the tabernacle, including the skilled workers, including the materials, which means for us, after we have found out what God's will is for our lives and we accept it, even though we don't know how in the world we're gonna do this, that's when we begin to see the miracles of God providing for our lives. And there was a time when Moses actually, there was the period of building the tabernacle. There was the time period when it went on. It says in Exodus 39, 42, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel made all the work. That's the work that Moses and the children of Israel did. And during this time when the tabernacle was being built, there was no manana spirit about them. There was not, you know, there was not, well, we don't get it done today, we'll get it done tomorrow, no. There was an I must do it spirit of diligence, 
among Moses and the Jewish people. And that's what God wants to see in our lives. This diligence to do the work, this use our lives to do the will of God. And finally, there came the day when actually the tabernacle was done. It was to tell us die. It was finished. It was accomplished. And finally, at the end, Moses and the Jewish people could look back and they could say, I have finished the work. That's Exodus 40, verse 33. He reared up the court, round about the tabernacle, the altar, set up the hanging of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. That's what it says in Exodus 40, verse 33. And just as Moses could look back over his work of building the tabernacle, at the end of our lives, we can look back over our work for God and we want to say, I have finished the work that God gave me to do. So this statement in Exodus 40, verse 33 of Moses finishing the tabernacle is in the last chapter and the book of Exodus opens with the deliverance of Israel from Egypt and the book of Exodus closes with the construction of the tabernacle. Just as our personal life history books We have our own personal life history books of Exodus that open with us being in a hopeless bondage to sin and God delivering us from sin. So the closing of our personal life history books of Exodus should close with our tabernacles. Exodus 25, 8, let them make me a tabernacle that I may dwell among them. So God's purpose for making the Lord Jesus our savior from sin is to make the Lord Jesus our Emmanuel, God with us our togetherness with God. We are together with God in him because he's God. But when we look back over the tabernacle, we can see that God didn't just drop that tabernacle from heaven and say, there you go, you know, from sky. They dropped all that manna down, it was done. But the work in building the tabernacle, it was a work given to Moses that he wanted done on earth, just as he gives us a work that he wants done on earth, and he wants us to do it. The building of the tabernacle didn't just happen, it took a lot of sweat, a lot of sacrifice on the part of the people. It was costly, took a lot of hard work to build that tabernacle over a period of time. And that's what's involved in us in doing the will of God in our lives. It takes a lot of sweat, a lot of sacrifice, it's costly, it's hard work over the period of our lifetime so that we can say, we can finish our personal life history book, Exodus, with the words of Exodus 40, verse 33, Moses, finished the work, John 17, four. I have finished the work thou gavest me to do. In order for us to be able to say that, I finished the work, we need to find out from God what our life work is. We need to work hard to do God's work. We need to follow God's work. And finally, we need to finish it. We need to find, follow, and finish the work that God has for us. So the Lord Jesus says in verse 23, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel, and like I said, gone over means finished, till the Son of Man be come. So he's saying, you will not have finished your work of reaching, in this case, all the Jewish people until the Lord Jesus returns. So what he's doing here, when he says that, you won't finish, is he's lighting a fire under the disciples. He's removing this spirit of manana is as good as today. He's dispelling from the disciples that, well, what doesn't get done today, I'll get done tomorrow. Don't sweat it, what's your rush? It's dispelling that. Now, I don't know about you, but I can tell you me. I get the most done when I'm under the gun. I've tried and tried for years to get my messages and lessons done in the first part of the week. I don't know what it, I get this feeling. I got a lot of time. I don't need to get into it so hard right now. And somehow it just gets, every time it gets left to the last minute, it's like, ah, it's a panic. 
you know, it's the last minute panic, it's the real urgency, and I'm just telling you, I work till midnight on Saturday, and I'm up at six in the morning, and I stop at nine before I get in the car and come here. I don't know why I do it this, this way. It's just, but Matthew 10, 23 says, you shall not have gone over or finished going over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man become. He's instilling in them a sense of urgency. He wants them to live in this sense of strong sense of urgency. He wants the disciples to be thinking, I haven't reached all the Jewish people. My time to reach the Jewish people is limited. It's gonna be cut off either by my death or the return of the Lord. When I finally hear the five, four, three, two, one, finished, you know, the messengers have to stop. You know, like those cooking channels, you know, the cooking things, or the baking competitions, you know, with their British accents and all that. When the chefs and the bakers are working so hard and the clock's ticking up there and then they hear this, five, four, three, two, one, baker, stop, you know, chef, stop. And they gotta stop and stand by the work. That's the spirit that the Lord Jesus is trying to instill in his disciples at the end of the verse 23. You know, there's a moving scene at the end of uh, the movie Schindler's List. Hitler came to power, starts killing the Jews in the concentration camp, and uh, Schindler comes up with a plan, and he decides to use his business to rescue Jews. And what he did was he made a list of jobs and Jews, and he went to the Nazis and says, I want to buy these Jews, their skillful talents, so they can work in my, my factory. And his real goal is to save the Jews from the death in the concentration camps by telling the Nazis, you can't kill these Jewish workers here because I paid for them. So Schindler's plan worked, and he saved many Jews from death in the concentration camp. And so Schindler took all his money that he had at that time to buy Jews, and he bought all the Jews that he could to make them workers in his factory. Whether or not there was work to do or not, it's a different story. He just bought Jews as much as he could afford and saved them from death camps. Well, one of the last scenes in the movie is very moving, is of Schindler looking over the Jews that he was able to save, and he's thinking of all the Jews he could have saved if he just had some more money to buy them. He wants to save all the Jews if he could afford it. And so in this particular scene, Schindler's in his suit there, his lapel there, he's got a gold pin. And so he drops his head and looks at the gold pin. He goes, oh, the gold pin. I could have bought one more Jew from the death camp with this gold pin. And the sad truth was that at that time, Schindler said it was too late. So Schindler lost his opportunity to save that one more Jew from his gold pin. And he's remorseful over not using that gold pin to save one more Jew. That's an important scene for us because 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one of us may receive the things done in his body according to what he had done, whether it be good or bad. So for Schindler, it was his conscience that convicted him for not using his lapel pin to save one more Jew from the death camp. It's different for us because it's not a matter of simply our consciences convicting us of not using what God has given it to us to save souls from the eternal concentration camps of misery, death, and hell. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of what we did with our gold lapel pins. So it's this sense of urgency that's incorporated into what the Lord Jesus is saying is that you will not have finished your work. You shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man become. He wants his disciples to see themselves in a race against time, just as Paul saw himself as a runner, an athletic runner, when he said in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, 
but one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain. And every man striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body, bring it into subjection, lest in any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be cast away. So Paul is leading his life. In a, he's running, he's running as in a race. Not to beat others out, but a race to win the prize. The prize of the Matthew 25, 21. Hearing the Lord say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And he knows that before a person enters heaven, before that, he must give an account to the one who decides whether or not he's gonna be in heaven, the Lord Jesus, of what he did with his life. So, well done, thou good and faithful servant, first. Second, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord, second. So we should live our lives with this scene before us of ourselves giving our a life account to the Lord Jesus, wanting to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou, enter into the joy of thy Lord. And he wants his disciples to work as like when he did, like when he did when he was 12 years old, Luke 2, 49, I must be about my father's business. He's only 12 years old. He's only 12 years old, but he's got a must be about spirit. I must be about my father's spirit. He's got a must do. And later in life, as we saw already, John 4, 34, nothing's changed in his life. He says unto him, my meat is to do the will of him that sent him and to finish his work. He likens himself to a hungry man with meat to eat who comes to the buffet table and he sees all that salad stuff and that buff vegetables. And he says, where's the meat? And then he tears into that meat as that, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I've been waiting for. I love the meat. He's saying that when he looks at getting the work done for God, the work that God the Father has given him, it was for him like, where's the meat of the work that I've been given to do? That's what I want. That's, that's what I need to do. Just like the man at the, the, the buffet table, you know, saying, see these men, they don't do it now, but they used to. Anyway, they piles the meat on the plate. I couldn't believe it one time. I went to a men's prayer breakfast in Mifflinburg, Pennsylvania. There was about 1,500 people from the CMAs, all CMA people. And they had as the, so I gave the message, but they had a guy gave his testimony there, famous Penn State football player, so famous I don't remember his name. Anyway, <laughs> but his father was famous too, and uh, I'll find it out, but anyway. And he was in front of me in the buffet line, and uh, he had two plates, you know, and one plate was like eggs and sausage and all this stuff, and the second plate was this mound of bacon. <laughs> it's huge amount of bacon, you know? And I was just kind of like, I don't think I ate much. I was like staring at him the whole time, you know? He's going through this big bacon. I was thinking about it so much, you know? They came time for me to work, I'd speak. And so I got up and they, and I said, you know, I'm here. And I've been thinking to myself, what is a Jewish boy doing in Mifflinburg, Pennsylvania, speaking at a men's prayer breakfast, Easter prayer breakfast? What's a Jewish boy doing there? And I looked at him and I said, because you have something, you have something that I want. And I pointed at him, bacon. <laughs> bacon. <laughs> I diverge. Okay. So just like a man like him at a buffet table who piles this meat on and says, you think I got a lot of meat here? He says, when I'm finished, you're going to see this plate look like it was when I picked it up clean. Just watch me. Okay? He's going to finish the work. He says, I have. My meat is to do the will of God and to finish his work in John 4, 34. And in the middle of his ministry on earth, he says in John 9, 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. The night comes when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. His attitude was, I must work the works of him that sent me. And it drove him to see that there was a day, but the day was limited. As long as the sun is shining, as long as the day, that's the day. And he clearly saw 
the night coming when there'd be no light and his work had to stop. You saw that. We began this section, which is back in the end of chapter nine. We began this section in 937 with a problem that he stated. It was a big problem, a huge problem, he says in Matthew 937. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. The need was so great that he's telling them, think about the need. He's telling them that when he says, you know, the laborers are few and pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth. He's telling them, think about the need. There's the need here is not of laborers. Think of the work that needs to be done. Don't think about the work that has been done like Schindler in that last scene in the movie. He's not thinking about all the Jews that he saved from the death camp, although he thankfully did, but he's thinking about the Jews he could have saved. That's how we should be. Think of the souls that are being lost. Think of two mouths, two openings. One mouth is the mouth of the open door of the ark, uh, Noah. Noah's inviting people to go in. God said there's a door, Genesis 6.16. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof. And then when the time came, limited time, in Genesis 7.15, they went in unto the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. They went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded them, and the Lord shut him in. The Lord shut the door. So think of that door that's open for a limited time before God shuts it. And think of how we also have a limited time to work for the Lord's interest. And there'll be a time because of failing health or death, we just won't be able to do it anymore. And we're gonna hear the words, not because it's bad, but we're gonna hear the words of Luke 16, 2. Called unto him and said unto him, how is it that I hear this? Give an account of thy stewardship. Here's the words. For thou mayest be no longer steward. We have a work and it's temporary and we're gonna hear the time when we say you can't do it anymore, that's it. And think of how those words no longer will become true of us. We gotta make hay while the sun shines. Now that's the first mouth, the mouth of the ark that represents salvation. It's open for a limited time. Then it's going to be a no longer, like you said in Luke 16 too, no longer be my steward. It's gonna be no longer that door's open. Now think of another mouth, another mouth, the mouth that's described in Isaiah 5.14, therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure. Now think of yourself as a disciple of Christ and you're the only one that's standing between these two mouths that are waiting for men. The mouth of the ark to salvation to save men and the mouth of hell trying to suck them in to this eternal concentration camp of misery. And think of your work as warning men, don't be sucked in by the mouth of hell and your work of persuading men go into the mouth of the the ark before it's too late. And now think of the Savior who has given the work to us to be done and think of the judgment seat of Christ that we're all gonna appear in front of him and give an account of what we did with the work that he gave us to do. You think of these things much more than you think of yourself. You think of these things much more than you think of your problems. You think of these things much more than you think of your shortcomings, etc. Don't think of the sacrifices that you have to make to do the will of God. Think instead of the miraculous provisions that God has supplied in our lives and will provide, as he said, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. So this is where the Lord is going with uh, verse 23. He's giving them the cold truth, but he's also telling them that the persecution is really ascending to go to others. He's giving them these words gone over as in finished. He says, finish this work and he's telling them there's a sense of urgency to get it done. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus, such a great preparer, such a great teacher, such a great instructor. 
And we pray that uh, his preparation, his instruction, that we would take it to heart fully in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.